Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and Mike are in the studio here. I want to um, thank you, Mike, for... So this is the podcast you do? Yes, this is a podcast that you do. Thank you for inviting me. I just talk into this headset thing. Yep, you that's me? it. Uh, Wade has You've been, been doing this for a while? Or? Wade hasn't been here for a while. Um, and our people have been wondering if he was dead. Um, I'm I dead said, in Christ. I said, I don't think so. I haven't seen him. Yeah, it turns out I'm not the uh, the paragon of uh, health and stability and productivity that I, I project that I am. So. so I would normally just say, you know what, that's a good idea. I think I may send a health check. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, welcome back, Wade. And we're going to do something today. Uh, this may spill over into a series, but Wade has entitled it, Why America is Losing Its Mind. Although I wonder, did we ever have it? That's a good point. That is a good point. There's a, there's a point that kind of touches on that in here. That's so. right. So we, we will just see where it goes and hopefully be just controversial enough that you'll want to keep listening, but not controversial enough that you'll uh, send angry emails. Yeah, but and it if might you be, send this could turn emails, into a okay. few episodes maybe even, or it could be one episode because Mike gets a little deeper into what I have here and says, uh, it's bad, Wade. That's it's bad. real bad. We'll see. Um, I have um, looked over this three-page document, which is hyper prepared for for wades thank you um i've had 45 seconds to look at it but we we're on the same page i I have read almost all of it and we'll have no problem uh filling up multiple hours if it goes down that direction so our title is why america is losing its mind i would ask the subtitle did we ever have it we uh by the way i would say we really got the mike and wade attire going in here too Yep, Mike I'm is properly clericals clericaled and, up. It yeah. looks like you trimmed the beard. Um, you know, I yes, but I, I need to. Uh, uh, I'm up for another trim very quickly. Uh, how would you describe my appearance, Mike? Um, normal. Normal. So, uh, stocking cap of the Detroit Tigers, a t-shirt, um, a tattoo, and do you have shorts on? Is that I do shorts? have shorts. Shorts. Do you have do you have like tennis shoes or sandals? Uh, those are sandals. Sandals, yeah. Um, it is. But they're like fisherman sandals. It's so like kind of combination. It's like thirty degrees out. But anyway, um, the other day I was really offended. Mike joked about my appearance to someone on a, a messaging app we use for friends that are, are out of state, and it was probably the the most dressed up I'd been all semester. <laughs> what did I say? You said you should see how Wade is dressed. Oh yeah, I was thinking I was talking about your beard. Oh well, because that day I had button-down shirt on oh yeah that's right you, you were very nice you looked very you i think there are some options that i, I am only assuming trisha has buy, bought these clothes where you look pretty good well thank you i don't look good but well none of us bad. look good right yeah. that's why the advantage of the collar is hey that's just his uniform yeah. who cares so. so we've been up to mike what'd you do today what did i do today mm-hmm. um you I, teach today i taught uh luther class we were on the part three of the pedigree um Biography that's been fun, even though our students are uh, more. Many of our students are safely being quarantined more than more than we'd like. Um, taught college 101, had some uh, three paper consultations. Nice. One on Frederick the Wise, one on Katie von Bora, uh, von Bora, and then one on Lucas Cronin. Those are good topics. Those are good topics. Those are like the three main ones. I, so what I did in Luther this year is I said. You have to read, you have to do a biography. You have to read two biographies or one biography and some multiple papers on a character in Luther's life, not Luther. I thought that would be, I thought that would be a fun way to do the sure. Luther paper. And I think people were, were digging it. And well, let me get, you guess what the, we probably already know, but guess what the top four choices were. Well, Katie's probably way Katie's up Katie's number one. Um, I would hope Melanchthon. Melanchthon was probably third. Um, and let me see, Luther class. Who might st- was it? They could do opponents of Luther as well. They could do anything, but were any opponents in the top four? No. Okay. Then I would say Frederick the Wise and Lucas. Frederick Kronik. the Wise was two. Lucas Chronic was uh, tied with Melanchthon and Thomas Mincer. So that is that's an oh, yeah. opponent. I suppose, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I was thinking more like Mincer's interesting. You get into yeah, that, oh, like yeah. the so, 1980s East German actually, scholarship I, on him. Actually, I think I had more Mincers, which I, was surprising me. I had one guy do Suleiman, so that was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, 
But and then today our discussion was most um, underrated. I gave him the cho- choice of overrated too, but most underrated influence on Luther. And um, um, we had one student um, who made a very passionate plea for um, Stoppitz. And Did anybody say Prince? Thoughtful. No. <laughs> and then we voted. We voted at the end. And Melanchthon only got two votes. But I was kind of underrated. So, yeah. But uh, the top votes were uh, um, Frederick the Wise, Staupitz, and then there was some chronic in there, Melanchthon. Um, and, and somebody made a good point about Spolatin. There was actually, it was, it was good discussion for eight o'clock in the morning. Nice. So anyway, that's what I've been up to and then taught at the high school and then recorded a chapel and now I'm doing this Nice. and got quite a few papers to correct tonight, but excellent. So what have you been up to? I, uh, did you only ask me that? So I would ask you, no, I was just, you you look all professional and you look like you accomplished stuff. (laughs) What did you do today? Tuesday, Thursday, I don't have any classes. So I, uh, these are my days for class prep. So I worked on getting Resources, discussion questions. I've had to use PowerPoint more than normal this semester because uh, so many students on Zoom. Um, but then I tinkered with my WLC and uh, wrote down episode ideas. Very good. But otherwise, I didn't do much. Um, we'd like to remind you before we go any further that we're a part of the 1517 Podcast we Network, are. which Very is fantastic. Um, has published a, one or two books of yours. Three, Mike. Three books. I'm going to be published Wait. by them. Yes. Three. I'm, I'm, they've graciously have allowed me to. I was going to bring that up as a good friend. Like I was trying to, going to try to bring that up organically. Yeah, I'm not really good at promoting myself, but I kind of feel. Pretend you didn't say that. Hey, uh, yeah, I have done three books with that, Micah. Um, Anything you're working on? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, Vocation, the, the setting for human flourishing. That sounds like a really good topic. Timely topic. And uh, it's a, it's coming out in April, but you can pre-order on Amazon right now. And, um, on Amazon.com? Amazon.com. So people could go right on Amazon.com and put in vocation. Probably you're going to have to put more in vocation. Right, but like, what's the subtitle again? A, uh, a the setting, setting for, for Human Flourishing. So maybe Berg, vocation, Berg the setting vocation for Human Flourishing. Berg, vocation will get you there. Now, if you just do Michael Berg, you're going to get some Kabbalah stuff. If you just do vocation, I'm probably like the 400th book on I think vocation. you sometimes come up for the, the fine introduction you wrote to one of my books. Yeah, too. there you go. So, but they could go right there. And pre-order it because this bad boy is probably going to sell out. I'm guessing. Well, I don't know about that. It's and, uh, it just it's just been on Amazon for a few weeks, so we'll see where the the numbers go. And uh, I'm I'm happy that you brought it up because, as you know, I'm not really great at promoting myself, but I feel obligated now since, you know, it's not just about me. Right, it's about, <laughs> about the publisher. About the publisher. So um, they have been gracious enough to fly me down to Dallas after Thanksgiving to do a. A short video, and then also to record uh, one of their uh, academy classes on vocation. Nice. So um, we'll see how that goes. Did you decide on an outfit for that? You know, I I, I kind of wanted to do. Now I haven't. I they said bring, I gave you ideas. Bring options. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you do purchase uh, Michael's new book, if you pre-order, just send us a proof of your purchase, and I will send you a picture of a Let the Bird Fly sticker. Um, I don't have the resources to mail them all out. I think stamps are like 50 cents. Um, but I will send you a picture of a Let the Bird Fly sticker. Also a picture of a uh, Milwaukee Admirals minor league hockey team Luther bobblehead. Yes. <laughs> that will be excellent. I agree to do that. Uh, should right. people desire. So if you want well, that, reach this? out to if, me. If you do hardcover, we'll give you a picture of the Luther bobblehead and the picture of the of the. Sticker. I think that sounds fair. <laughs> no, that that is very good. So, uh, fifteen seventeen's been good to you. They've been good to me, um, and they have over three hundred videos on YouTube right now. And you can find videos from the last "Here We Still Stand" conference, which obviously had to go online. Freedom of the Christian. There's some live stream. There's sixteen hours of conversations centered around Christ for you, uh, from conference talks to weekly video casts. You can find it all in one place. And stay up to date by subscribing today. So search 1517 on YouTube or follow the link that we're going to put in our show notes if we remember. I'm and, sure Peter's listening. And we can, uh, you can get hooked up with 1517. And by the way, I've been doing kind of a lot of side jobs, as you know, right now. And one of them is teaching at a very cool high school. Um, well, I'll teach at 
high school, our Wisconsin Lutheran High School, um, apologetics there, but then the faculty of Kingdom Prep Lutheran High School, which is uh, all boys kind of inner city, uh, teaching their faculty to get uh, what we call ministerial certification going through that kind of stuff. And so I've been going through the Old Testament with uh, a bunch of their faculty. And I'm like, you really, I've been kind of, you got to go 15, 17, especially Chad Bird, 40 minutes in the Old Testament, and then his new devotional book, which is Unveiling Mercy. Um, because a lot of those uh, faculty members are Christian, but haven't maybe gone, didn't go through uh, a Christian ministerial college. And it's been fun to um, show them Christ in the Old Testament. And I said, if you like this, you'll love this. So everybody unveiling mercy. Uh, if you Google that, you'll get a video of uh, Chad Bird for uh, promoting his book. Um, so go to 1517.org or .com. I think it's both. So should we go to the disclaimer? Sure. We'll probably really need this one for today. This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. for our main topic and uh, our topic t title today is going to be why America is losing its mind and uh, Wade why don't you just give us a couple sentences on why this came to mind I said wait figure out a topic and you're like no problem yeah well I had um, I've had topic ideas I think Mike the one that I sent you about a hundred on telegram uh, but then I did not write them down uh, which is probably unfortunate uh, Getting in here and actually doing something has been more of a challenge. But what uh, I think uh, well before uh, 2016, even um, when we had you know the 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 hyper uh, sensationalized media coverage of the election and bombarded with it increased partisanship, um, so a lot of the things we're going to talk about, I think our our thoughts about them predate that by quite a bit. Yep. Um, but I think just in the in the last year or so, um, as we've been hit with COVID, as we've had um, a tumultuous election season, um, as we've had economic uh, boom and bust in a lot of ways, right? Some some people are doing quite well economically; mm -hmm. others maybe struggling. Um, as we've seen, I I guess an increasing cultural divide. Um, I think we've seen kind of shifting. Uh, rhetoric within Christianity even. Um, there's just been a number of things, I think, that to me stand out about, um, as I think about, uh, and, and I know I think here Mike will disagree with me a, a little bit because he asked if we ever really had our mind. <laughs> um, but I, I think back, especially now I've got a, a kid in, um, in college uh, who voted for the first time and to her credit, was trying to stay more informed and would sometimes be in touch, you know, uh, with her mother and me talking about stuff. Um, other kids, you know, who are, are fairly engaged and, and we, we have discussions about things that they pick up here and there. Uh, just thinking back to when I was their age and even when we were college and pre-9-11, I would say in some, uh, kind of the just tone of life in America, um, the place of the church, the relationship between the political parties, um, kind of the economic situation, world, the world situation, right? What were we afraid of or not afraid of on a world level? Um, there's just so much that I look back and it's just different now. And in some ways, good different. And in other ways, I think uh, concerningly different. And I will admit, and my students would, would uh, agree, 
um, I'm a big fan of the 90s, and I admit it in class, and I, you know, I say, look, I'm a 90s homer. Um, and so sometimes when stuff comes up and we're talking about stuff, my mind kind of goes back to that. Um, and so probably some of what I'm going to have here is filtered through that. Um, but especially as I've been teaching ethics and now the Christ and Culture course that we've built for applied theology, it really, um, you know, my reading kind of continues to become broader and broader as you, the more times you teach it, the more ability you have to build out on stuff, um, to be looking at new angles, um, reviewing different literature. And a lot of that, I think, is just influence things too. And I know, Mike, the same is for you. Um, we often will have book recommendations we make to each other or um, really good articles that we like to share. I think both of us are fans of long-form journalism. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that <clears throat> bounces back and forth with that. And so I'm going longer than a few sentences. But I, one of the things that um, comes up, especially in Christ and culture a lot, is um, you know, if we are going to love and serve neighbor, how do we learn to really see our neighbor, to understand our neighbor, um, to learn uh, how to speak with our neighbor in a way that, that tells the story of Christ uh, that can resonate? Um, I know you do a lot of this with apologetics as well. Um, how do I understand what my neighbor's primary concerns or, or fears or problems are? How do I understand how they see the world? And I think this is an especially challenging thing in 2020 uh, America. How do, I, how do I look at various issues in a Christian way um, that uh, goes beyond politics, right? Um, so we have people maybe who are struggling uh, economically. How do I see them? How do I want to help them in a way that we as Christians can degree, disagree even on the political path, right? Should the government be in, more involved, less involved, uh, you know, uh, things of that sort. So I've, I've just and had the, that. Can I interject yep. one thing? I think both of our, you know, we have many weaknesses, you and I, but I think one of our, uh, and, and we have different weaknesses and different strengths, but one strength that we, I think, share is being able to see the big picture. And it bothers us quite a bit, I think, when words are thrown around without historical meanings or we get trapped in like just from generation to generation uh, kind of marketing terms uh, like that. That's how we do history now. And um, I think we're both frustrated by uh, people's rhetoric right now. And we say we've been through this before, or don't you know that you're being manipulated or don't you know to see how this ends because we've seen this in history before. I think we're both drawn to those intellectual movements over not just generations, but centuries. <coughs> and, um, and that's why I, 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 I think that's probably why, why you wrote what you wrote in this little document sure. here and uh, will color the way we have this discussion. Well, and I think too, I mean, for my grad school and my PhD, um, my major and my minor fields were all periods of uh, um, upheaval, uh, in some cases decline, in some cases hope for progress, um, but basically late antiquity and kind of the, you know, uh, Peter Brown type stuff. Um, and uh, uh, then modern Germany, especially focusing on fascism and uh, um, the Holocaust. And then obviously the Reformation is a time of, of great upheaval. I mean, the Lutheran Church is born out of that. And not just religious upheaval. And I think that's something that people don't always understand. In the history of Reformations this semester, we've spent just a lot of time saying, how did politics shape what happened mm -hmm. here religiously? How did economics play into um, who fell on what confessional divide uh, to get people to understand that in their own time, maybe things are being driven or shaped or or concepts wedded um, for more than simply religious reasons, right? That we can't just step out of these various realms, but they all impact us. And you're going to make a point that we've lost our, we don't, we're not doing history. And what we don't mean is that you you read you know, you, you like Luther or you like, or, or you like the medieval time. I'm talking about getting deep enough to understand, um, Frederick the wise, why he did what he did. Right. And, and it's humbling to see 
and eye-opening to see that uh, in a lot of ways things haven't changed. Right. And to see that there, when you look back in history, the often the enemies aren't as bad as you thought and your heroes are definitely not as great as you exactly. thought. Exactly. And we will get to a point on that somewhat later on. In our in our current culture, we really struggle with that because um, it's to the point now that we even uh, on the left or the right will want to cancel certain historical figures mm -hmm. um, because we don't agree with them in every way or they were flawed in some way. And in so doing, we really deprive ourselves of understanding what made them so complicated and imperfect and therefore having a window um, into how complicated and imperfect we are and how that might impact what we're and and i think it diminishes the understanding that that sometimes truth is truth no matter where it comes from mm -hmm. um, and sometimes progress can come from the most unexpected places um, and and we really have trouble divorcing sometimes um the person or the place from the the concept. Yeah, I, I almost wanted us to do a whole thing on you know statues as the toppling of statues has has faded into the background of our our, our media right now. Uh, but I think that's an interesting <coughs> case study because at first some people may say you don't just erase history, and but then you have to ask yourself, do you really know when those statues were put and up why? and why? And there was also, um, there's the cancel culture, um, just because maybe that's a more left thing right now. Although let's not, it's not, not let's not pretend like the right wasn't doing that for a whole long, a, a lot, a lot of times either. There's a lot of people chanting Fox news sucks right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there is, um, you know, we've talked about this too, when we, we may be all the Luther statues, I'm fine with a statue of Luther. Um, but you and I can look at a statue of Luther or a picture of Luther and we can almost by, by the way he is portrayed pinpoint when and who put that statue up and, and who why. painted that. Yeah. Why? And throughout this 500 year period, sometimes it's going to be maybe not totally in line with a confessional Lutheran in 2020 at Wisconsin Lutheran college. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. But I think it is fascinating that that whole kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not in favor of burning any books or toppling any statues, but I'm also in favor of maybe um, not putting up statues <laughs> for the wrong I mean, reason. What about place. you're against burning your own books? Um, I've had like old books and magazines I just don't want anymore. And I figure they're not going to sell for anything. Get, I, and, can't, I can't get myself so to, I've had a bonfire. I can't get myself to do it. And I even cringe when, when I hear about it in, in Lutheran history too. I just don't. I just, I, it, I don't like burning stuff. Yeah. I don't like burning for ideological reasons, but right. like bonfires. See this, but I'm I a state even, fan. I, you're a Michigan fan. I don't even. I'm, I think this is part of the difference. This is right. I don't even like. I don't. I don't think you you're should probably burn, against burning couches. I think you're, you should not burn couches. <sighs> I don't care if your team does win or if your team team does loses. I don't think you should burn couches. The uh, both of our teams have one win right now, by the way. And, College football. Who do you remember? Yeah. State only won one. What was that a win against? They must have played Central or something. Like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't really pay attention to college football that much. Not a big deal to me, so I yeah. don't really know. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna quick go through um, some of the. Uh, I have 11 points, um, and then a bunch of bullet points, and uh, so this is probably a mess for Mike to try to track. But um, and what? I think this gives us possible episode ideas for down the road too, beyond whatever we get to. Do you want to? Do you want to, Why don't you do this? Why don't you quick say all eleven? That's what I'm gonna do, we'll and then that gives listeners one. a chance too, if they have particular ones they're interested in, yep. uh, <clears throat> to let us know. So number one, we're not liberals anymore, and we should be. That will be today. <laughs> two, we've forgotten history or never learned it. Three, partisanship is hardly new, and media partisanship is hardly new but it has been exacerbated with technology. Four, information overload has led to soundbite engagement with important issues and with other people. Five, online engagement has underlined personal interaction. Six, the American population is getting dumber. Seven, cultural Christianity is slowly dying off, and I would say is more quickly dying off now. Eight, uh, should I read eight? I, I or are you going to want me to reword it? Um, I'm going to read it. Yeah, we we've, we we know who said this So originally. I'm going to say, if you're listening with your kids, just earmuffs real quick. Okay. 
Is that fair? That's fair. Or do you want me to pick a different condition? No, nope, go ahead. Okay. Calvin is about as or Calvin is about as hard to get rid of as herpes in American Christian thought, um, including American Lutheranism. Um, nine, the whole move to save the law from the danger of perceived cultural and ecclesiastical moral decline has led to law solutions, and law solutions tend to be political, whether ecclesiastical politics or temporal politics. <clears throat> Ten, conservative Christians have never really gotten over the battle for the Bible. Um, now, the battle for the Bible was a good thing, but we'll talk about how it's impacted things. And then, 11, many American Lutherans have, by and large, had a fortress mentality for generations. And that's one we've hit on before and even had an episode on before Mike came on the podcast. I believe that was just me and Peter that were talking for for that one. I like um, the number 11 because we are, we are not apostles or the tribe of Israel. We're somewhere, yeah. we're somewhere in between. And... Uh, don't worry, I know we didn't really have a free-for-all today, but I would say there have been thousands of free-for-all ideas shared in <laughs> Telegram. I hope Peter has been or comes on writing them down. I would say Ben and I have been a font of... Yeah, it's been good stuff. Did you like any of them last night? Um, I don't think I read through it last you, night. You didn't read the one about who Trump should pardon? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I see. I don't know those names as well as I should. I mean, I hear them, okay. but I don't really. Oh, was, I yeah. thought it was pretty funny. That Actually, that would be a good because I threw in Hillary as a joke, oh, like because <laughs> if he pardoned her, even though she has been convicted or anything, it'd be like that, one last troll. That would be pretty good. <laughs> but did you put himself like a preemptive pardon? <laughs> well, I, that that may happen, or right. maybe he'll step down in Pennswell. But uh, <laughs> um, all right. Okay, let me let me. What do we have for time right now, Michael? So we uh, are at twenty six minutes. So you got a new watch? No, so I have this one. Um, what is that? It's one of those health. Things. Oh, you you did the I did college uh, health yeah. program. I do kind of like it. I didn't do that for privacy concerns, and also, um, I don't want to know how bad my health. Right, is. right. We've so. talked. We've talked about this, Wade. Right. About how you're. You're going to die of stubbornness. Right. But I'm glad you, uh, in exchange for uh, handing over all your data and privacy, that you got a, it seems like a, one of the lower tier fit. Right. Too. And, uh, you know, probably a $50 gift card at the end of the year, too. Worth it. Nice. You all should right. use that to take me to Applebee's. Wor- worth it. Uh, okay. But <laughs> all I'm, right, Mike, explain what you, I, I think you know exactly what I mean because yeah, we're not, this is one you brought up before. But number one, this might be as far as we get today, but, uh, Number one, we're not liberals anymore, and we should be. And I, I do think Peter should make that the title of this episode because people who put angry comments will clearly not have listened, and I think it would be really fun um, <laughs> to see how many people just don't listen. But you guys may disagree that it may cost us listeners. Well, define define liberal. That's what we need to do. And, and again, we are saying left, right, liberal, conservative. We get so frustrated because they're lazy terms, and we get so frustrated because we use them, and we right. know better. Because there's no way around we them We know sometimes. better. And I think when I lash out at people using liberal and conservative, especially when it comes to theology, um, it's it's often uh, ahistorical. Um, today's liberal is tomorrow's conservative. Um, but I get frustrated myself right. because I'm being lazy in my terminology. So what do you mean by liberal? Oh, I thought you were going to I was about to put a cough drop in. No, you go ahead. Have a liberal, and then you can put your cough drop I in. I said it right there. Um, the... Uh, Historically, what we mean by, by liberal is just uh, an emphasis on freedoms, right? The, the Bill of Rights is in many ways a manifestation of uh, historically liberal um, uh, emphases. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the root of liberal, uh, like in the liberal arts, is free, right, to be free. And so freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression, freedom of the press— um, <clears throat> you know, freedom from illegal search and seizure. Um, all of these things are central to Western liberal ideas. Um, democracy, whether that be um, Republican democracy, you know, uh, like we tend to have in America, or pure democracy, although I think the liberal impulse has usually been towards a more Republican form of democracy because um, <clears throat> liberalism also uh, stresses checks and balances because it realizes uh, how quickly... Uh, power can uh, shift 
um, and be abused. And so the idea of our three branches of government is, is, is rooted in this. And it, a protection against the majority or even the populace as itself, because the populace will be often like Israel and want to go back to Egypt and give up their freedoms for the sake of other thing. And that's a, that's a, that's a Republican and a democratic thing. And we can give examples of both sides. Right. And so, uh, while, um, Western, uh, and I say here primarily Western because these things develop in the West, um, but they're not only found today in the West and, and they're done quite well in many places, uh, outside of it, um, is also the idea that, uh, progress often, uh, um, in many ways, Western liberalism has been very leery of revolution, as I would say Luther was in, in many in the 16th century as well, uh, but but has um, looked towards incremental progress, um, working through uh, the systems that we, we have in place, um, but also with a recognition that there is going to be need for progress. And so you look at the history of America, and we had, for instance, slavery. Um, but the arguments that defeated slavery were also thoroughly American arguments, right, grounded in the ideals of our founding documents, founding documents that were written by some people who owned slaves. <clears throat> and so this idea that um, that the, the better argument, um, the argument that favors um, the <clears throat> integrity of individual people, um, the uh, liberties of individual people will win out. And that will get to... Um, where I have, and I should have made this its own point, but 4.4 I'll talk about, um, that free speech is not simply for the speaker, but it's in many ways, and, and maybe even primarily for the hearer, right, that the, um, that the individual should be able to be exposed to ideas precisely because the better argument will win. And so, yes, um, freedom of speech means the KKK can hold a rally, but we also, in this tradition, have the uh, confidence that in the long run that those arguments are not going to win out. Right? And, and a later point when you talk about the media too, to, the, to, to this point right now, that uh, media conglomerations are a probably bigger danger than, than maybe we always appreciate. Right. And right? I, I we'll personally, we've that. talked about this, but I fear corporate America more yeah. than I fear the government right we'll, now. We'll, sa we'll save that for, for a different time. Um, I, when we were first discussing this before I had to go record for our chapel, um, I said, and you maybe had already had it down, but liberal versus Ill, illiberal. So a lot of times people... And maybe you can, maybe you can explain illiberal because I don't think I hit on that too. Yeah, so the, a lot of times, let's say there's a cr criticism of a Democratic Party, whatever. Of the Democratic Party or one of a or Democratic Party? Of a Democratic... Okay, so any political party. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me let me let me rephrase that. A democratic American democratic person, idea, or the whole party as itself. A criticism from the right to the left. Oh, okay. We'll also will use the will use the term liberal as a as a as a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And um and if they have a point, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, as 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 it is in in, in our And um, here is just briefly, here's the great irony of someone like a Rush Limbo who will say liberalism is a mental disorder while he defends in many ways liberal positions right, right? so this is how we have to distinguish what he means by liberal there yeah. versus what we're talking about so let's let's take a um, let's take a point that's that we would generally agree as a legitimate right-leaning point as a that's a criticism of more of a left-wing kind of policy person statement whatever in 2020 America that you consider legitimate because I, I don't know well, what you're going to say right I, that's what I'm saying for sake of argument that's why I'm not mentioning anything specific okay. for sake of argument oh okay I thought you were about to what they often what that what that right-leaning person often means is not liberal but illiberal mm -hmm. so um, maybe what we mean by illiberal is a tax on free speech or um, uh, burn the whole thing down uh um, and everything, everything is flawed. And so we, we, we don't, we don't ha we're not going to give nuance to people's thought pattern. We're going to, instead of debating with people, we're going to stifle the debate. Um, that kind of, that's what we kind of mean by, by illiberal. With that said, with that said, um, we are, we should be probably a little bit more cognizant of those who have suffered in our society 
and they need a hearing. And when they don't get a hearing, that's when there is going to be rebellion. And so there has to be some soul searching to say, we have not lived up to the liberal ideas of America um, enough so that people are willing to give up their liberties or attack some other's liberties, maybe in this case, freedom of religion or freedom of speech. So there should be some soul searching on both sides. Right. But the point here is what I'm trying to make is when you use liberal as a dirty word, um, you're being inaccurate. And what you often mean is actually illiberal. <laughs> Right. right. And so maybe you can play off. And it's that not even necessarily being intentionally inaccurate. It's that we're handicapped by the way the terms have been used now. And and, and this is not a, a worldwide thing. It's, it's especially in America that we've adopted these terms. And we, we've been floating back a couple uh, uh, articles, mostly me from The New York Times, uh, about this. Um, and so The New York Times may be criticizing uh, the left uh, for being illiberal. And there was a nice interview. I, I wish it would have gone a little bit deeper, but about uh, uh, the French, is it the prime minister in France? I can't Macron. remember the president's Macron. Is it president or prime? It's president Macron. I think it's French president Macron. I'll um, Google it. I'll um, be like that guy on Joe Rogan who fact checks. <laughs> very critical of American media and not in a uh, tea party way. But in a way that says, and it was very pointed, that says you are overtaken by, um, you're obsessed by certain things, whether it be race, whether it be gender, whether it be whatever, and you're not, you're not being as nuanced as you should be. And so, um, um, and, and the, the article did a decent job of mentioning that President of France. Yeah, the, the French have this idea loosely translated as secularism. But what I often talk about, it doesn't come off very often, but in class about the French to compare them to America or whatever, to be French is a thing. Right. To be French is a thing. And in many ways, it's an enshrinement of Enlightenment ideals in a way that goes beyond what happened in America. America used Enlightenment ideals, but also very much grounded them in the English mm -hmm. kind of commonwealth tradition and pragmatism. Um, you know, liberty, fraternity, equality, um, the French really mean these in enlightenment ways. And so uh, they, and, and, and when we think about like the French revolution versus the American revolution, they're similar and yet quite different. And I think we could see good and bad on both sides, but that's, we for, cut a off less heads. that's for a different, <laughs> that's for a different time. But I think the point was for the, the French president who, and they're dealing with um, some serious terrorist attacks recently. Charlie to, Hebdo, the caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad stuff. To look at the to look at the American media's coverage of this, they would say you are missing the point. You are you are in your categories right now, and you're not being nuanced enough, and you're not giving enough appreciation for this idea of secularism, which is a bad, I, probably not a perfect translation of this this ideal and of the French Revolution, good or bad. Um, and, and I think that's the difference between liberal and illiberal that the French are being liberal. I think generally speaking in a positive way, I have I certainly read yep. criticisms of, of French culture and stuff like that, but, uh, being liberal in a in certain way and then calling the American so-called liberals illiberal, I think was very instructive. Right. And so it was, it was not a long form article. It was not as in depth as I was liked it to be. But it's an example of what we're talking about here. Well, and I think uh, maybe, and I'll throw to you again, Mike, because uh, I'm enjoying this cough drop. Uh, but uh, something we've talked about a lot, too, is how these terms make it into all sorts of spheres of, in, of life. Where they uh, don't belong. Right. And one of them is the church, so that we hear about liberal and conservative Christianity. And when we do that, conservative Christianity can include anything from the wells to the SBC to Pentecostals, mm -hmm. um, and liberal Christianity could end up including anything from a <clears throat> Presbyterian to a Unitarian. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what? Um, and, and it's a chicken or egg thing. Is it that we were sloppy and decided to call things liberal and conservative, and then we started to make these these churches that way, or um, did our politics divide us, and therefore our churches are divided that way? I mean, geographically, and even right um, that. Um, your your church, because it's located in this place, is pulling from this 
group of people that tend to be either push, you know, lean Democratic or lean Republican. And therefore, then that's going to seep into not necessarily theology as we're changing our theology, but what you highlight, what you emphasize, what you what 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 commandments are you going to harp on? What commandments are you going to wink, wink and say it's not a big deal? Um, how are you going to even look at evangelism? How are you going to look at charity? All of those kinds of things. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a mixed kind of bag and it's a chicken or egg thing. And the answer is probably both that our politics did affect our, our theology um, and our theology is going to affect, you know, l- let me make it more clearly. Is a, is a so-called conservative church, does it attract people because the theology is conservative or because you have conservative people that the theology is going to tend to be conservative, right? I think it's probably a both and sort of thing. What, but um, back to the original point. Yeah, so what's the danger of having that li- liberal conservative terminology become the predominant terminology for how we view churches? Yeah, I think three points. One is um, that, and here's the major one, is that, well, let's save the major one for the end. Um, the, the truth gets gets hit a little bit here, right? So it's not that something's conservative or liberal. It's as if it's true or not. Right, biblical. Right? And I think um, the, the second point, um, or maybe perhaps the, the second danger with that is um, evangelism becomes very difficult um, when somebody walks into a church and there's a huge rainbow flag and it's going to, you, you know, it's, it's going to, definitely push push left leaning you're going to make some people uncomfortable if you go into a church the and American the flag is like draping the right, altar and the the you know on the cross or something and the um the 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 narthex buzz is about how the government's out to get us and whatever uh, it, you make people uncomfortable and then the third point is that and and you made a good point about this later we'll talk about it in a later episode is that um the gospel gets diminished the gospel gets diminished the gospel gets hidden by all of this and and when i and and here's another way where um now you and i are probably more um well peter and i are probably more than you um you know i wish a small government type of people and probably if you took a poll of conservative confessional lutherans for lack of a better term in america they would be towards the libertarian conservative side. And one of the things that they're going to say is free speech, free, uh, free expression to uh, expression of religion, but also uh, that you can associate and gather and all that kind of stuff. Fine. But from the Lutheran point of view, I think in going back to, to the reformation, the point the, the major concern for the church of the government was, may it be peaceful. May it be just, may it be this, that, or the other thing for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of my personal freedoms. Although that you can make a case that we are, we are destined for freedom and that a good government is, is going to realize that. But it's not like, it's not like I can point to a whole bunch of passages and then come up with uh, a, a Republican platform. And I think that the talk that we have about Let's take masks for a second. You're, you're infringing upon my, uh, my, my right to gather and freedom of religion. Okay, I could sort of see that argument in, in its play out in a certain circumstances. Okay, fine. But the motivation, it seems, for those people is from their Republican stance, not really we want the gospel. Because if they were con- truly concerned about the gospel, they would be saying, how about we don't make ourselves look like anti-science whack jobs to the media right now. And so the motivation, I think a lot, and again, both left and, and right. neither of us are going to say you have to wear a mask no, or not. No, we're not making <laughs> but that But even point. if you're presenting it, coming at it from a not political and a Christian viewpoint, you could even argue the mask is, whether or not I think it's all that effective, whatever else, is a visible sign that I'm concerned for my neighbor. Yeah. Especially early on when the argument was that the mask didn't protect you, but protected your yeah. neighbor. Yeah, and, and I think, so... So when I hear all of this stuff, um, I see a, dis, a, a, a detachment from our Lutheran roots, historical roots, where the concern was... And once again, that's not 
pro-mask, anti-mask position. No. What Mike is getting at is how we get to it, and I yeah. think that's what's important. The point was don't squash the proclamation of the gospel. And, I, and, and let's be honest here, that has not always been the motivation of, of, of people in the, in the confessional Lutheran church at this moment. Um, with that said, I think both of us kind of like a little chaos politically. Um, I, you know, I can look at somebody who is toppling statues and doing all this kind of stuff and whatever and go, I don't think that's maybe right uh, for a variety of reasons, but I kind of like somebody who is making us think about these things. And the people who, who you know, uh, flooded the, the state house in Michigan, I, I don't know when that was, in spring or summer or maybe it was early fall, um, I kind of disagree, just put on, me personally, you know, just put on the darn mask. There's good reasons to put on the darn mask. But I kind of like somebody who's really worked up about, don't tell me government what to do. And, but that has got to not be the church's position. That cannot be the job of the church because um, the, the, either way, the uh, reputation of the church then becomes something of it's either a left or a right church. So what's the motivation here is the motivation the government does its job so that we can have the spread of the gospel, which would be a very early church thing. I, you know, I don't know if they appreciate it. Probably not. Uh, but we look back historically and appreciate the Pax Romana for the spread of the gospel, the Roman roads, the idea of the Greek philosophers asking these questions that were answered uniquely by the eternal logos, Jesus. We saw this culture and this as, as ripe, even when the culture and the government was not Christian, right? Uh, our concern is the spread of the gospel. And decidedly and, not Christian. And what's secondary, what is secondary is if the government is of our faith or not. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's you know, Luther's infamous line that I'd rather have a, you know, a Turk that would, knew what he was doing rule instead of, right, you know? So... Which he may or may not have ever said. Right. It's one of those that's hard to find, but but the standard is if you like it, then you assume. That's it's right. <laughs> um, like you know, I plant my, I'll still plant my tree today, even if the world's not. Yeah. Um, but I know that's subtle. I know that's subtle. But there is a motivation of the gospel being spread versus my personal freedom for the sake of personal freedom, and this is an example of what we mean um, by attaching yourself to conservatism and not seeing that there's a nuance between that and uh, the gospel. Yeah, and I think I'll give two points, and then I'll let Mike wrap it up. I think we've gone a while. But uh, um, first, regarding the liberal and conservative in the church, I think it also um, clearly impacts our hermeneutic. Um, if we assume that certain emphases are liberal emphases and certain are conservative that impacts how we read the scriptures what we read in the scriptures what we choose in the scriptures to preach on or to study and that can be dangerous um concern for the poor is a christian issue <laughs> it's not a liberal issue um and there are conservative ways to address concern for the poor right to help lift people out of poverty uh, life is not a conservative issue. It's a biblical issue and the, the value of life uh, <clears throat> for churches who might be considered more liberal to stray away from that because that seems too conservative becomes a danger. And so it really makes it difficult to preach the whole counsel of God and it really makes it difficult to read the scriptures to begin with. Um, I, I, I often think in our day what we could really use is a good dose of the minor prophets, right? Um because I think they, in some ways, uh, broaden our uh, appreciation for the extent to which God is concerned for the more marginalized and the poor. And being concerned with the marginalized and the poor doesn't mean, well, now we vote Bernie, or now we vote uh, oh, someone on the far right. Uh, but it is, it's just a biblical concern. Look at, I mean, read the Gospels and how often Jesus is approaching people on the fringes. And, and the thing I try to drive home in Christ and culture is he sees them, right? And he doesn't say, and now go forward and create this political policy. Mm -hmm. But he does see them. 
Um, and it, it wasn't liberal or conservative for him to see them. It was Christian for him to see them. When we were condemned, lost, dead in sin, God saw us, right? And and, and sometimes we end up uh, with restricted vision because of the blinders we put on um, by assuming, well, we're the liberal or conservative church and then bringing in the baggage of what we what we mean. Um, in many ways, Christianity is uh, one of the fonts of what it is modern, truly liberal ideas, meaning one freedom ideas. One of the major ideas. ones, yeah. And uh, because we want freedom of speech to be able to, to share the gospel, we want freedom of the, the press so that we can be informed um, in order to be able to love and serve our neighbor and to know what to pray for for our neighbor. We want freedom of association because we, we want to be able to gather, to have freedom of religion, um, to be able to uh, practice our, our faith. And, uh, and so to build off that in a more general point, not just restricted to the church, um, so the, the last two weeks, Serb Hall by my house has been an interesting place on Saturdays. And uh, so I live three blocks from Serb Hall. I used to live, well, three or four blocks, depending on how you define where it starts. I used to live one or two blocks. We made a big move a while back uh, <laughs> of three blocks. But um, there's been uh, these defend your vote rallies. And so you can be for, again, I, I'm not going to get into Trump. Um, but um, they've been gatherings put on by the GOP. Well, of course, this has also attracted uh, counter-protesters. And so last week, um, I took one of my kids, and we went and we walked, and we just kind of walked the perimeter and get the vibe. I like taking the kids to all different political stuff as well, just so they can kind of see these things, and then we can talk about them. But uh, it predictably uh, went downhill. Um, there wasn't a lot of social distancing <clears throat> or mass, and I would say on or, both sides. thoughtful rhetoric. Right. On the counter-processing side, there were masks, but they were down <clears throat> under your chin so they could yell, um, but not a lot of distancing all around. And uh, there was a lot of shouting and shouting of slogans, but not really any meaningful interaction or anything deeper than slogans, even in, in, in some of the speeches. <clears throat> and, uh, and then, of course, eventually some people the first week from the Trump side went over and started something with counter-protesters and there was fighting. And then this week, um, some from the counter pro well, it all went downhill because the rally got shut down because they wouldn't wear masks and distance. And so the health department said that the Sarah Paul was going to lose their license if they didn't uh, stop it. So then some of the leaders of the rally told them to go to the streets. And so they blocked off 51st in Oklahoma and, you couldn't get by, and this is when it started to get bad. They tried to either take the microphone from the manager of Sir Paul or threw him to the ground. If you watch the video, I guess it could go either way. <clears throat> but So the, the, the Trump supporters got a little riled. Well, counter-protesters ended up making it into their midst, and uh, there was fighting again. But once again, there was yelling and there was slogans, but there wasn't much substance. And both sides, what's fascinating to me, and you see this as you watch these things play out elsewhere, were, were claiming the basis for why they were doing what they were doing is freedom, even while some of the slogans clearly called for the restriction of the freedom of the <laughs> other side, right? And this is what it is to become illiberal. Um, in many ways, these are, this is not old country buffet of pick your freedoms, um, but something that we've found, not because the founding fathers were divine, um, not because our government is, uh, um, you know, the true Christian form of government, but because they did kind of have a good sense for humanity, uh, is that, that these freedoms in many ways go hand in hand, right? So if Mike wants freedom of speech, then I need freedom of speech. Um, and freedom of speech is so we can talk and the best argument can win out. Uh, to shout over Mike or for Mike to shout over me is not for him to win the argument. Um, it's for him or me to impede the hearer from hearing. And interestingly, doesn't St. Paul make this very point in Corinthians when he says, for good order, only one of you should speak at a time. Um, freedom of assembly. You have people who will get very upset about a Trump rally, but then 
we will see big celebrations of the election or protests where just as many are are gathered. Well, freedom of assembly is freedom of assembly. Uh, the um, All down the list, there's this danger in wanting to restrict the freedoms of others um, and saying we're doing so in the name of of freedom. And, uh, and I find this very concerning. Um, and it, it kind of is what C.S. Lewis gets at, for instance, in The Four Loves when he warns about patriotism. Um, the patriotism can sometimes become just a cloak for self-righteousness. And I'm not talking about just the, the flag waving on the right, but this can, can fall on the left as well. Um, but these things become for us part of our identity, and that will come up in a later point. And what happens then is, is our baptism kind of becomes secondary. Um, and uh, it's sad to see. I mean, I've, 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 I can't not go watch these things. If there's another one this weekend, I'm going to go watch, and I'm going to send you pictures again, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's sad to see and, and to have um, God dragged into it by both, si- both, ti- both sides oh, are yeah. shouting about God too um, while treating each other as if they were absolutely subhuman um, is, is very, uh, as you said well earlier, we pray for peace so that we, have, so that we can proclaim the gospel. Um, and uh, there's not enough silence in the world right now um, for the gospel to get much of a hearing. And much of the noise is made by those in the church as well. Right, which is, I think, our f- most frustrating frustrating part. Um, um, that it, I'm glad you brought up the self-justification thing because I think that drives everything, that idea that I, I'm going to be I'm going to be righteous. Being right and being righteous are, well, the same thing, right? And justify my existence. And anybody who is against that is going to be uh, the devil. Um, but when you're talking about uh, Jesus, and we maybe mentioned this before, um, Jesus had every opportunity to, to say something political, like every opportunity. As I did mean, Paul. And it was very right because, you, I mean, you have the Roman oppression you have the cultural differences between Hellenism and, and the Greeks. You have He had a zealot apostle who was surely in his ear more than once about it. And you have, for lack of a better way to, to describe it, four different groups, zealots, Essenes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And, they, and this may be reading too much into it because we don't have a whole lot of history, but I think they're all, answer, ask, they're all answering the same question. What do we do with this? How are we going to be Jewish? in a sea of Greek culture and Roman politics. Right. And the Pharisees are going to separate themselves within the society. Essenes are going to kind of Essenes are like, away. screw you, we're out Herodians of here. Herodians are going to kind of make, take advantage of take it. Take advantage of it, uh, you know, and then the, the zealots are going to, you know, uh, liberty or death kind of thing that may be too much in certain circumstances. But Don't Je- try it on me. Jesus has every opportunity to pick a side. And he never does. And the fact that one time when it seems, quote unquote, he's cornered, what do you do with this coin? He's just awesome. He's like, he just kind of flicks aside the question, right? Whose who's picture is on that coin? Sees, give to Caesars. What is Caesars, right? Um, that's just a, that's a total bad move. He only said know? that, though, because Caesar was a, a good Christian who pursued <laughs> only uh, Christian policies in government, though, right? And so if Jesus is not going, has every opportunity to make a sometimes pretty obvious like the Romans are bad, you know, like there's at least one enemy we can all agree upon or whatever. And he doesn't, I think we should, that should give us pause. That should give us pause. And to say, Jesus saw his neighbor. He wanted to be known as the guy who, who, who died on the cross. He, he moves it. And then again, you may say, well, Jesus had one mission and we, get that. Well, like you said, Paul could have. Right. And even there, uh, those who wrote the new Testament, um, we're also facing persecution. They had every reason to work in or to emphasize anti-Roman rhetoric if there was some. Mm-hmm. And in, in and only do you get it as a as a backdrop, right? As a way to to say a spiritual truth. So you may think of okay, is the is the some of the pictures in Revelation where they did John have in mind, or did Jesus have in mind the pictures of the Roman Empire and army army that would have that would have uh, resonated with those uh, people in, um, in and around Ephesus, sure. But he's not making a, a political statement there. 
Um, in fact, if we do listen to political statements uh, throughout the old, especially in the Old Testament, but also apocalyptic uh, in both the Old and the New, is kingdoms come and go. And that includes America. Kingdoms come and go. Um, let them rise and fall, right? Um, let's not tie our identity and ourself and everything to mere men, right? And, and this is, again, a picking and choosing, right? So some people are going to pick and choose all of the things about um, loving your neighbor, especially those who are poor and charity and, and the, the foreigner. You're right, um, but are going to ignore other things. And you're going to have people who are going to um, uh, harp on the bedroom sins but ignore other things. But what both sides really ignore is the frailty of mankind and the frailty of governments and the frailty of kings. And it's from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. All the way to the end, that is a theme that we don't, I don't think we preach on enough because it would be unpopular. It would be unpopular to get up in the pulpit and say, this government, this policy, this culture, your movement, your party, your politician ain't worth anything. And you're going to tick off everybody. But I think... Mm -hmm. Like you said, maybe there should be a little bit more minor prophet preaching. Yeah, in I think churches. there's this great hope for a Constantine, but when you study Constantine, I think, no, I want him. you don't want him. Yeah. I mean, many of his enemies said he became a Christian because it was the only religion that would forgive him. <laughs> I mean, this is not a, this is not a good guy. Right. Uh, and, and I'm, uh, but I think you and I are very hopeful because I think we see big picture and we see a reckoning going on. You had mentioned like cultural Christianity is fading and a lot of, and a lot of times we should say good riddance. I also think that um, there's a reckoning with a uh, sloppy evangelical. Um, and I don't mean to bag on evangelicals, but a shallowness it, uh, that was very attractive to dying churches of those mainline uh, denominations who said, this is how you grow, you be cool and whatever. And it ended up being shallow. It ended up, excuse my language here, but it ended up being very white. It ended up being very suburban. And uh, I think there's a reckoning that's going to go on. Was and I think boomerish. Yep. And I, I think it's a, uh, there's a reckoning. And I, um, I'm looking forward to it yeah. as difficult as it may be. I think it'll be very healthy for us to how the church was portrayed as a success oriented church, um, a therapy church, uh, a church for people whose biggest problem was, do I buy a minivan or an SUV? Um, uh, and, uh, there's like I said, I think there's going to be a reckoning and that's going to be a good thing. And I'm helpful. I, I'm hopeful for our students too. I mean, we, right. I'm in Pauline epistle, so you can't go very far without thinking about how this applies to our life and how we talk to each other and all and freedom and all that kind of stuff. And I've been appreciative of the comments of our students that are kind of, they're kind of sick of both sides. Well, and I think I was going to say, I think there, there is hope with the youth. We always get bombarded with these 70% of the youth are falling away, 80%, 90%. But I think sometimes we have to ask, what are they falling away from? Right. And what are they falling away for? Um, and in many ways, those falling away are not falling away because the church was too deep for them. Mm -hmm. um, but in many ways, because it was too shallow. Yep, absolutely. And, and there's a hunger for something more. The question is going to be, are, is our American church is going to provide it? Um, on the flip side, too, um, there are people who have left... Um, because uh, their issue was uh, they think with Christianity, but they were never actually presented with mm -hmm. meaningful Christianity. And the way to get those people back is not to um, simply mimic the culture um, and absorb the culture into the church, whether that be on the left and the right, and that's a big temptation on mm -hmm. both. Um, but to actually get back to brass tacks and what does the church exist for? What does the church have that no one else does? Mm -hmm. And the answer there is the only thing we have that no one else does is the gospel. And I think both of you, both of us on a regular, and I'm talking monthly basis, if not more, will have people come up to us. And it's because we're ripe here. We have students from all over. So it's not like we're any better than any other preacher. 
But when people come up to us and say, I've never heard it put that way, I've never heard that or whatever, almost inevitably it is going to be about the gospel. Yep. I've yep. never heard it that way. And you start to see that the church has assumed the gospel or it has completely ignored it. Or politicized it. Or it has politicized it and they've or or have have just made it cheesy. Have just made it downright cheesy. And and uh, maybe it was preached, but it was preached in such a shallow, cheesy way that it wasn't worth remembering for a lot of people. So we are out of we are way over time right now. Let's what are we at? One over an hour. I'm I'm somewhat proud. I'm back. And what's one of the most me being back things we could do is go over go time. Over time. Yeah. So we do appreciate it. Let's save some bullets for next time. Uh, we'll see. I ain't, we ain't promising anything, but maybe we can uh, make this a series. So, uh, Wade, and I don't think it has to be a series of eleven straight. Yeah. But ideas we can bounce back and forth yeah. to. So Wade, until they come back, our audience, what should they do? Um, I think they should uh, let the bird fly, and I'll see you guys in about six months. Every evening care with the people I think I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker.